Well, good morning and welcome. My name is Steve Williamson. I'm one of the worship directors for the traditional service here at Wheaton Bible Church. Well, it is always time to turn our minds and our hearts to Jesus. We always need it. And on weeks like this, in our world and in our country, that need is a little bit closer to the surface for us to set our minds and our hearts on Jesus. And that is our hope this morning is to lead you to do that. We're going to sing about Jesus' power to redeem, about his power to reign, about his call on our lives to be his hands and feet in our world. We're going to hear scripture and sing a song about how Jesus is our all-sufficient treasure. It is our hope that you lift your hearts, you lift your minds, you lift your voices to Jesus and that you feel his redemption as you do that today. Let's begin with this call to worship from our brothers and sisters at our Streamwood campus. As the deer pants for the stream of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How we used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Hey. 
justice, bringing evil things to light. Let us seek the courage needed, our high calling to fulfill, that the world may know the blessing of the heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to become my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair.
Good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here, and I wanted to welcome you. If you are part of the church, one of the things that you know about our church is that we really believe in the power of prayer. So I have an invitation to you today. If you are in need, if you need us to pray for you, please let us know. You can do that by texting uh, your request to 630-260-1600. I guarantee you that someone throughout the week is going to be praying for you, and maybe they're going to be able to be praying with you. Now, today's a special day, not just because we get to worship together and we get to be exposed to the Word of God, but it is also a special day because I get to introduce to you one of the newest members in our church, and his name is Eric Solomon. So Eric is um, the new uh, campus pastor of our Streamwood location, Tri-Village. Um, so Eric, so nice to have you here, man. So nice to have you as part of our team. And basically what I want to do uh, today is I want the, the church to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. So how about if you tell us a little, about, a little bit about yourself, sure. um, about your family, all of that stuff. Yeah, well, it's great to be here and uh, to be able to talk a little bit more about, about me, about myself, and about what God is calling me to at this place at, at Wheaton Bible. I'm originally from Miami, Florida. Uh, my dad's Cuban. My mom's Dominican, which, which means I have a whole lot of Caribbean blood that's flowing through me. That's a crazy combination. <laughs> uh, and, and Jesus uh, saved me my first year of high school, um, but he actually met my family way back when I was about to enter into junior high. He, he saved both my parents and their marriage at the same time, and, and that's when I was introduced to Jesus. They had raised me Catholic, but we really hadn't been devout. And but it wasn't until I entered high school that Jesus really grabbed hold of my heart. I went to Taylor University for my undergrad. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to Grand Rapids Theological Seminary for my MDiv. Uh, I actually met my wife, Jocelyn, at Taylor. And at the end of this month, we'll be celebrating seven years of marriage. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, and we have two uh, active and, and fearless daughters, mm -hmm. uh, Liliana, who's, three year, or who's one year old, and Lucia, who's three years old. Um, it's been a, a crazy journey from Miami to Chicagoland, but, yeah, but God has been incredibly faithful all the way yeah. through. So... Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your passions? I, I know, I, I already know so many things about you yeah. and your love for the word and the church and all that stuff, but, yeah. I, but I want people to hear that from you. Yeah. So what are some of your, you could say, your core passions in life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm passionate about the local church 
period. Uh, if you read through the scriptures, you see that God has, has said that the primary way in which he works in the world is through his people and through the local church. And so I'm passionate about therefore becoming and helping others become conduits of God's spirit to bring about God's kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel and transformation of people and communities. These, these local churches are, are like outposts of new creation life and I want to help people participate in that. I'm also passionate about shepherding under the ultimate shepherd Jesus to equip the people of God to participate in the work of God for the glory of God and, and, and for the good of his creation, right? Uh, the last thing I would say is I'm pretty passionate about uh, being part of a, a multi-ethnic church. Uh, it's reflecting essentially the beauty of God's people all the way in Revelation 7. He's already told us how it's going to look and so participating in that here and now with, with people of every shade of skin color, uh, from, with every language proclaiming the glory of God and being part of that community. Man, that's awesome. You're in the right place, brother. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so one more question. Um, if, if, I were, if, if you were to give us some of your core and most foundational convictions, what would they be? Yeah, well, I'd have to start saying I, I really believe that the Bible is the word of God. And I also really believe that the spirit of God is at work in the life of the believer today. Uh, what that means on a practical level is I'm trying to take God at his word, but live it out on the daily. Uh, and, and that means then there are um, things like what you just said. Uh, I take prayer very seriously. Prayer matters. It's one of the most important things we can do. It, it also means that I believe we're part of a, a sent and a sending people. If I really believe what God says in his word, and I really believe that the spirit is empowering believers to live that out, how could I not be part of a church that is being sent to proclaim the message of the gospel to a, a world that needs Jesus, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then the last thing I'll say is, is, like I mentioned that I'm passionate about, one of my core convictions is that what God says all the way in Revelation 7 about the people of God is not something that we have to wait for. Mm -hmm. It's something that we participate in and fight for in the here and now. And, and it's, so it's something that I want to uh, not just uh, talk about, but actually do and live out. That's awesome. Now, we know that this is, uh, is going to be a really uh, intense season for you, yeah. right? So you're trying to get people that you haven't seen face-to-face, -face, yeah. right? And you're trying to pastor people that you're getting uh, to know for the first time. Right. Uh, how about if you give us maybe two, three things uh, to pray for? Yeah. Yeah, well, one of the big things you can be praying for is, is as we transition, not just into this role, but, but we've bought a, a house, so as we transition into a new home, that, that me and my family and my wife and my girls, that we would be able to keep the main thing the main thing, right? There's a lot of things that we have to plan for, uh, but we want to continue to be on mission. And so praying that we might participate in that um, and, and see that even as we move, even as we get adjusted to a new position. Uh, but then the other thing is, is, like I said, I have two very active and fearless girls. And so in this moment, it has been uh, quite... Uh, uh, an experience to, to raise them and so that you would pray that I would uh, continue to be faithful to how God calls parents to be in this moment. That's awesome, Eric. Once again, I'm so happy, man, that you're part of the team. Yeah. I know that you're going to love the church and I know that church is going to love you. Yeah. Now, this, as you know, these are difficult seasons for us. Um, a season of transitions, a season in which we're dealing with so many different things at the same time. And today we have a special prayer that we want to uh, do together. And we have asked Pastor Kyle to lead us in this section, in this uh, profound and important prayer. So please pay attention to that. Good morning, church family. Um, I want to offer for us this morning a prayer of lament. Now, really quickly, uh, lament is a biblical tradition. 
Um, prayers of lament can be found from God's people in so many ways. As, as, as God's people cry out to the Lord, it can be in despair and desperation and overwhelm, whatever it may be. And so I want to offer that for us this morning and, and also remind us that a lot of times these prayers of lament are what God uses uh, to raise the, the eyes and the hearts of his people to him in hope in new ways. And so let's pray together this morning. Father, we need you. Father, we need you and we ask for a reminder of hope. Father, we read in your holy word, Lord, how for all of human history, when you have been dwelling among your people and showering grace after grace, Father, your people continue to fall short. Father, and in that falling short of perfection of your holiness, Father, we praise you in hope, we praise you and thank you for sending Jesus. So as we lament, as we cry out, Father, help us. Help us to do so in hope of you. And so, Lord, this morning we lament, we cry out. Father, we cry out for brothers and sisters in our church family, for communities, for the world, that, Father, when you have commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves, Lord, we can so often treat our neighbors as someone other than ourselves. Father, we lament that your people can so often approach one another. Father, can approach a world looking on with a pointed finger, Father, instead of open arms. And so we cry out to you, Lord. We cry out to you for the painful divisions that this has caused in our world, Father. And we pray in hope, Lord. We pray that your love, that your grace would be showered in new ways to heal division. And we lament and we cry out, Lord, we grieve the deaths, the murders of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor, of Ahmaud Arbery, and Father, too many others. And in that, we pray to you, Lord, for a holy discomfort that moves us towards speaking and taking action against the oppression of black brothers and sisters. We pray, God, in hope for your guidance and a necessary journey of humility, of listening, of learning, and of courage. And we lament, Lord, we lament with protesters, Father, to seek to share a voice, to speak, to stand in solidarity against sin in the world, Lord. Father, to call out injustice because calling that out points to you who is a God of justice. Lord, to call out oppression because that points to you, the God who offers freedom. To call out racism because that points to you, the creative, beautiful, and global God. Father, to call out murder and point to the God of abundant life, to point to you, God, to seek to have voices heard and to find people willing to listen. Father, ultimately to call out sin because you are a God who forgives. And we lament today, Lord, gatherings that have turned to violence in our nation and world. We cry out in seeing so much violence everywhere we look. We lament cycles of violence, cycles that respond to violence with more violence and violence and violence and on and on, we ask for your protection. We ask for your peace. Father, bring protection and peace to the hearts and lives of all who gather. Father, to all who protest. Father, to our police, to our leaders. We hope in you, Lord, when, we seem, when it seems that peace isn't possible. Father, we can despair. We can turn our eyes away from you and think that you have forsaken us. But Father, help us to look to you for the peace of your presence. And Father, as the world looks on, may that bring awe awe before you. And so, Lord, we lament and we cry out, Father, for every family 
among every oppressed people and household and person that has experienced and lived through social injustices, violence, oppression, racism, who are searching for a way forward, feeling the depths of despair that transformation can't or won't come. Father, for all who are seeking peace, crying out and asking how to be an agent of restoration, how to seek you, how to point others to you. And we know, Lord, without you, despair will define. Despair will sink in. And Father, the deep lessons that are necessary, Father, the deep lessons that need to be taught are just impossible. But with you, Lord, these conversations and steps forward certainly remain extremely hard. You, Father, can grow them into being truthful and constructive. We just pray, Father, do not leave us on our own. Do not leave us in silence. We cry out to you, Father, to speak to those, through those who need to speak. Father, we cry out and ask that it would be your voice who is heard above all others, Lord. We need you to speak through those who need to speak and silence those who need to be silenced. And in hope, Lord, we pray. We pray. Because in Jesus, you sent your restoration of the world. You sent Jesus, your perfect reminder that things were not always broken, and they won't remain broken. And so, Lord, today we need you. We cry out for you, and we hope in you. Amen. You might be wondering, why is it that we're making this prayer? You might be wondering, why is it that we are... Uh, interested in, in opening a campus or having a campus in a stream world, you might be wondering why is it that we do the things that we do. And our core conviction is this. We, the church is the hope of the world. We are here for a reason. We are agents of restoration. We proclaim, we defend, we protect, we guide, we speak. This is the reason why we exist. And this is actually the reason why I invite you to continue to support the church financially. We believe that the church is the hope of the world, and we believe that the things that we do matter and make a difference in this world. So please, if you're part of our church, please continue to support the church financially. As you know, you can do this by texting, uh, by texting 77977, uh, uh, or you could do this through our website, or you could just simply continue to send your offering to the church directly. Um, I want you to believe this, and I want you to believe that everything that we do here matters. And with that, let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Lord, we thank you that we get to be exposed to your word. We thank you, Lord, that we get to uh, be part of this great and beautiful movement. I pray, Lord, that you use us. I pray, Lord, that you use the gifts that you have given us and the abilities that you have given us. And I pray, Lord, that you use our finances for the glory of your name, the joy of your people, and the restoration of this creation. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus, and we all say, amen. So once again, thanks for being here with us. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. Um, and for the last few weeks, we have been going through uh, a series that we have called Wisdom for Life, based on the book of Proverbs. Um, and and it, it, there's something interesting about the concept of wisdom, because if you look for the synonyms of the word wisdom, you realize that uh, some of the words that are used to describe what wisdom is are words like insight or perception or prudence or sagacity or discernment. And if you notice, the word wisdom and all its synonyms um, this, describe or explain that thing that we need in order to be able to make decisions in order for us to live a spiritually healthy 
lives. And today we are going to talk about the number one thing needed in order for us to live a life of wisdom. Let me say that again. Today we're going to talk about the number one thing needed in order for us to live a life of wisdom. And it is that we need to learn how to guard our hearts. And for that, we're going to be reading Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27. So if you have your Bible with you, please go to Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27. And if you don't have it with you, don't worry, we're going to be putting the verses on the screen. Once again, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's, holy, to, uh, one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep a corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet. And be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. This is the word of the Lord. So once again, today we're going to talk about this very important, the most central thing that we all need in order for us to learn how to live a life of wisdom. And it's the principle, as you saw in the text, of learning how to guard, protect our hearts. So the three questions that I'm asking the text today are this. Why we, why we should protect our heart? How do we do that? And who can actually accomplish this? Why do we need to protect our heart? How do we do this? And how and who can actually can learn how to do this? Let's go with the first point. Why we need to learn how to do this. Um, uh, it's interesting when you look at this text here. Because right at the beginning, in verses 20 to 21, we have this exhortation and this command. Actually, the text says that we are called to pay attention to the word of God. Right? And it also says in verse 21 that we shouldn't let the word of God out of our sight. Now, this invitation, this exhortation is telling us that the way we treat the word of God, our attitude toward the word of God, shapes the way we live and dictates the way we live. In other words, that it is the word of God, the, one, the controlling power in the life of a Christian. Now, what I want you to see, though, is that this exhortation in verses 20 to 21 is not just a call to obedience. And I know that the tendency for many people is to read something like this and say, well, the Bible is calling us to be obedient. But, but when you read it, if you do a real, uh, really careful reading of the text, you realize that that verse, those verses are not talking about just obedience. Actually, the exhortation in verse 21 is this. To keep the word of God within our hearts. Once again, this is not just about obedience and letting, obeying what the word says. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I would explain that later on. But the main concern of the writer of the book of Proverbs is that we learn to keep the word of God within our hearts. Now, you may ask the question, why is this so important? 
Well, all this has to do with our definition of what the heart, what the, what the heart means in the Bible. See, for many of us, when we think about the concept of the heart, especially if you're part of the modern uh, world, uh, usually we, we make a distinction between um, our emotions and our will. And there's a tendency of thinking that when, the, when we talk about our heart, we're talking about this thing that dictates or rules our emotions. Um, and even though that's partly true, I would like to argue that when the Bible talks about uh, our heart, it's not just talking about this place where we have our emotions. Actually, I believe that the Bible makes it extremely clear that the heart is that place in which we have our deepest trusts. In other words, if you want to know what you really trust, you got to learn to see what's in your heart. It is our, in our heart where we have our deepest commitments. It is in our heart where we find what we truly love. And yes, it is in our heart where we have emotions, but it is also in our heart where our will is affected. It is in the heart. It is the heart, the one that affects everything, your mind, your emotions, and your will. In other words, your heart is the description of your entire inner being. How your heart is, that's exactly who you are. What your heart wants, that's exactly what you want. Your heart, it's a reflection of who you are. This is the reason why Proverbs 27 verse 19 says this. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflect the heart. As the water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. This is what I can say. That what defines a person is not so much what the person is doing or not doing. What defines a person is who the person is inside. Now, I, 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 I think that this is important. Because I think that we need to understand that the Bible is not calling us to simply modify our behavior. And I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about that later on. But what I want you to see is that the, the main, main exhortation of the Bible is to protect and guard our heart. Because everything we do flows out of that. Actually, that's exactly what we see here in verse 23. Above all else, or before all else. Or, or more than anything else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Have you ever thought of that before? Have you ever thought of how important it is for you to learn how to protect your heart above everything else? That your heart is more important than anything else. That everything that you do in life flows out of that. Everything you do. Everything you do flows from your heart. This is the reason why the writer of the book of Proverbs says that we got to pay close attention to what we have inside. Actually, I think this is the same thing that Jesus had in mind in Mark chapter 7. Uh, this is verses 21 to 23. Listen to what uh, Jesus says uh, to his audience. For it is from within, out of the person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And then he gives us a list of things that flow from our heart. 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lust, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. In other words, it is what we have inside what makes our life miserable. It is what we have inside what makes our life pleasurable. It is from within our heart that everything comes out. There's nothing you do, nothing you think, nothing that affects you that is not connected to your heart. This is the reason why, for example, Woody Allen and Selena Gomez and I'm trying to reach two different generations here, this is the reason why they, they would say something like, the heart wants what the heart wants. In other words, we obey and submit to what our heart has. This is the same reason why a famous rapper, trying to reach another generation, says, save me from myself and all this conflict, because the very thing that I love is killing me, and I cannot conquer it. This, these are secular people that have an understanding uh, similar to what the Bible talks about. This is the reason why I could never go to my wife and say, you made me do it. You make me angry. See, I could never say that. Because my wife that knows the Bible could always say, no, 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 Hannibal. The reason why you say the things you say, the, the reason why you act the way you act, the reason why you do the things you do is because of your heart. Everything you do, my little man, well, she would never say that, but everything you do, Hannibal, flows from your heart. As a Bible person, I have nothing to say. Like, she's completely right. Everything that I do right flows from my heart, and everything I do wrong flows from my heart. No excuses, no blame shifting, no nothing. See, this is the main difference between the religious approach to Christianity and the biblical approach to Christianity. See, the religious approach to Christianity says that what really matters is obedience, rules, and regulations, because what matters the most is behavior modification. In other words, what matters the most for the religious approach to Christianity is that you behave well, that you are decent, that you modify whatever you need to modify as long as you change in a way. You know, and, and that, that sounds like a good thing, and that is partly true, like what we do really change, modifies our behavior, but that's not, that is not completely true because it is possible to modify your behavior by the things you do, but that doesn't mean that your heart is changing. And it doesn't mean that your character is changing. Let me say that again. It is possible for you to modify your behavior externally for all the wrong reasons. It is possible to modify your behavior with the things you do or by the things you do, but that doesn't mean that your character is changing. This is why I think it is so dangerous when we say to the people we love, if you do this, I'm, gonna, I'm going to reward you. That, that, that's a behavior modification thing. It's trying to modify behavior by rewards. That's why I think it's so dangerous when people will say something like, if you do this or you don't do this, this is going to happen to you. That's trying to modify behavior by fear. This is why I think it's extremely dangerous when we say things like, if you do this, you will be this. 
that he's trying to modify behavior by pride. That's why I think it's so dangerous that if we say, if you do this, this is what you could become. This is trying to modify behavior by shame. You know what the problem is? That when the rewards are not there, when the fear is not there, when the pride is not there, when the shame is not there, everything goes back to normal. Because your heart, that flows, that your heart was never transformed. Because your character was never shaped. It was all behavior modification from an external point of view, and that's it. I, I think that this is the reason why so many people have walked away from Christianity. I think that this is the reason why even though people came to church for years and read the Bible for years and memorized the Bible for years and participated in all of our programs and did everything that Christians do, later on they walked away from Jesus. My conviction has always been is that even though they acted as, as Christians and they modified their behavior whenever they were part of the church, in their heart they were never transformed. Their character was never transformed. They never treasured, had the word of God within their hearts. And it is from our heart that everything else flows. This is why we ought to guard our heart, people. Because our heart matters. It is our heart that shapes our character. And it is our character that later on modifies our behavior. Our heart matters. That is the first question. This is why we do it. The second question is this. How do we do this? And it all comes down to one single word, the word guard. Above else, guard your heart. Now, I find this word fascinating. When, when I was doing my, my word study, I, I found this tiny little word fascinating. Because I, I think that when we try to define that word using our English language, uh, we cannot honor what the word truly means in the original. See, that word in the original literally means uh, a secret place, kind of a cave. And it says that the heart is kind of a secret place. It is it's something that is not exposed out there, right? But it's so secret that people might not see it. But the word guard has two definitions. One is to restrain, and the other one is to protect. So when the writer of the book of Proverbs is calling us to guard our heart, he's calling us to restrain what is inside our heart in order to protect it. And he calls us to protect our heart from the things outside in order to guard it. Once again, this is a combination of protecting and restraining. When the Bible calls us to guard our heart, he's calling us to restrain our heart for the things that are already there. And two, to protect it from things that are outside of us. So based on this, I think that there are two principles, so two things that we got to keep in mind in order for us to learn how to guard our hearts. Number one, we got to practice the spiritual discipline of self-examination. This is how you restrain your heart. When you practice the spiritual discipline of self-examination. And number two, when we learn to acknowledge and recognize that every little decision we make 
actually influences our heart. Self-examination and recognize and acknowledge that every single little decision we make really affects who we are. So for self-examination, let me read a couple of Proverbs to you. Proverbs 16.2 says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighted by the Lord. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighted by the Lord. And then Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5 says, The purpose of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. And this is the assumption the book of Proverbs make. That we are all prone to self-deception. That by nature, all of us, simply because you're a human being, created in the image of God and yet fallen, we are all, the tendency of our heart is to, is prone to self-deception. It's to not being able to see who you, who you are. It's to not be able to actually understand your own struggle. It's you being blind to your own things. You know, the, I, I find this super interesting because uh, when you talk to people, the first thing that, uh, the first thing that comes to mind when I'm, when I'm talking about, uh, to someone about this, the first thing that comes to mind is, is um, I, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but uh, sometimes I hear or I see a recording of myself, and my first reaction is to say, that doesn't sound like me. My first reaction is to say, wait, that's my voice? Wait, wait, do I have an accent? This is crazy because I cannot even hear my own voice. I cannot even hear my own accent. Somebody else needs to say it to me. I think that this is true in every area of our lives. I think that all of us struggle in this way. And this is the reason why self-examination is a must. Because we are all prone to self-deception. You know, Blaise Pascal used to say this, the greatest threat to the moral life is neither ignorance of the moral law, that we don't know what God wants, nor moral weakness, that we're doing wrong things, but self-deception. That is the greatest threat to the moral life. Because, he says, sin or moral wrongdoings is usually a product of self-deceptive moral reasoning in which one recognizes some court of action to be immoral but persuades oneself that it is moral. This is basically what he's saying. Even though deep down inside we know what is right and what is wrong, we convince ourselves, we rationalize, we, we, we justify something to the point that we start thinking that that wrong thing is not that wrong. It's a way to justify, excuse, reason that something that we know that deep down inside is wrong, we convince ourselves that it's not. So listen to what Keller would say about this. He says that this is kind of the behavior for someone that is struggling with something like this. They would say something like, it is not that I'm proud, it's just that I'm confident. It is not that I'm abrasive, it's just that I'm, just, it is just that I'm direct. It is not just that I'm greedy, it's not that I'm greedy, it's just that I am sharp in business. 
And when I was thinking about this, I went back to all the conversations I have, I have, had, I have had with myself. And I went back to all the conversations that I have had with others. And this is what came to mind. So this is my own list. When we start reasoning the things that we, that we know are wrong, we will say something like this. It is not that I'm angry. It is just that I'm passionate. It is not that I'm stubborn. It's just that I have strong convictions. It is not that I'm not teachable. It's just that I know what you don't know. It is not that I struggle with the approval of men. It's just that I, I, I don't like rejection. It, it is not that I'm addicted to power. It's just that I don't like humiliation. It is, it is not that I'm addicted to comfort. It's just that I don't like to suffer. It is not that I'm, I'm a control freak. It's just that I don't like uncertainty. Can you see it? Deep down inside, we know what is wrong. And we convince ourselves, excuse ourselves, reason with ourselves, justify, with our, justify everything that we may do wrong. Self-examination is a must because self-deception is a reality. Self-examination is a must because self-deception is a reality. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I call you to keep the word of God within your hearts. That's the first one. This is the first step, in my opinion, on how you learn how to guard your heart, to restrain your heart from whatever is already there. Now, the second thing has to do with acknowledging and recognizing that all of our little tiny decisions in life shapes our hearts. And I want to walk you through verses 24 to 26 because I think that those texts make it clear. Listen, this is what he's saying, that actions matter. Verse 24 says, keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far, far from your lips. And this is what the writer is saying, that everything you say, all the words that come out of your mouth, all the little decisions that you make with your words shape your character. Look at what verse 25 says. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. So the, what the writer is saying is that the things you see, the things you gaze at, really affect and shape your heart. The little decisions you make about the things you see shape your character. Look at verse 26. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. All the little decisions you make about the things you do, the places you go, shape your character. Everything you do, the things you see, the, the things you say, the things you allow, the places you go, all those little things really affect your heart. In other words, if I were to put this, is your heart affects your life, your life affects your heart. There's this saying, nobody knows where this saying came from, but this is what it says. So a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, 
reap a destiny. Isn't that true? Isn't it true that everything that you have allowed really affect the way you are? Isn't it true that the things that you do in secret that nobody else can see affects your heart? Isn't it true that the way the things that you have allowed through your eyes really affect your heart? Isn't it true that all the little decisions that you have made about the words you have said affect your heart? Our entire life is also shaped not just by the things we have inside, but by the things that we allowed into our lives. So if I were to put everything in like a summary form, this is what I would say. Our life is shaped by our heart, and our heart is shaped by our lives. Now, can I be honest with you for a second? When I was preparing this, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I think I know what the problem is, especially if you're a Christian, because I know what my, my problem is. I, I think that our priorities in life are crooked. I, I, I think that we elevate above all else, all else, other stuff. I, I think that we struggle because we don't know how to put priorities together. See, I think that we struggle because for many of us, the priority is your career, not your heart. Your priority is your achievements, not your heart. Your priority is the approval of others, not your heart. Your priority is what people think of you, not your heart. This is the problem, that above else, we elevate other things instead of guarding our hearts. I don't know about you, but I recognize that to be true in my life. I think that there are so many different times in which I could put something else before guarding my heart. This is how I know. I know how much I want to guard my heart by, by how much I pray, by how I appreciate the Word of God, by how much I care about the church, by how much I, I, I talk to the people that I should be talking about, by the relationships I have, by how much I contribute, I'm, I'm contributed to the kingdom of God financially and with my time. You know how much I care about my heart because of all the things that I do or don't do. And something tells me that I'm not the only one struggling with this. That our priorities are crooked. Because if something is of supreme importance, then everything else needs to move to a second place. Guard your heart. This is the irony of it. That even though you want to be a good husband and a good wife, if your heart is not right, you cannot be a good husband or a good wife. If you want to be a decent father or mother, you cannot be a decent father or mother if your heart is not guarded. If you want to be a good friend, a good co-worker, a good a partner in life, you can never do this unless your heart is guarded. Because everything you do, once again, flows from the reality of your heart. I'm going to say something to the parents, and, and please forgive me. But the reason why I'm going to say what I'm going to say is because I love you and I love your kids. But I think that many parents in our culture today and maybe in our church today, we care so much more about other things that sometimes our kids' hearts. 
I think that many of us struggle trying to live through our kids the life that we always wanted. I think that's the reason why we have this weird obsession with sports and extracurricular activities. And our kids getting into the best schools and education. And listen, none of that stuff is wrong. There's nothing that is intrinsically wrong with all of that. There's nothing wrong with you desiring those things for your kids. But what matters most is their hearts. But what matters most is what they have inside. This is my prayer. My prayer for me, my prayer for you. That if I'm a parent, just as much you are a parent that I make it my priority to pursue my daughter's heart. Because at the end of the day, I might not be able to give them all this dream life. They might not be the sports people that I want them to be. They might not have the career that I want them to be or to have. They might not be the people that I want them to be. But if the word is within their hearts, I did what I was supposed to do. I did what I was supposed to do. They have to make a decision about their faith in their relationship with God. My job is to pursue their heart and to pray and do everything in my power so they have the word of God within their hearts. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Now, so far we have talked about why is it that guarding our heart is important? How do we do it? And then the last question is, Who's the person that can actually do this? And I want to read to you again verses 20 and 21. And I want to ask you a question after I read this. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. So here's a question. Who lives that? Like, is that you? Are you keeping everything that God says within? Are, are, are you keeping what God has said in front of you? Now, when, I, when I'm reading this, my mind goes to Matthew chapter 12 because I think that Jesus had this section in mind when he said this. For the mouth, let me put it on the screen, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stuff of the good is stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil is stored up in him. But I tell you that everything, uh, I'm sorry, but I tell you that everyone will, will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Isn't that scary? What Jesus is saying here is that on judgment day, when we go before the Father, we are going to be responsible for everything we said. And that eternal salvation, based on this text, depends on everything that we have said. Not just because we have said it, but because it's a reflection of our hearts. And if that's the case, then I would say that all of us, all of us are lost. And none of us have a chance. And this is where Martin Luther really helps us. See, I'm sure that you're familiar with Martin Luther uh, historically, which is this German monk. And he, and he was a person that really loved the Lord. 
But he's a person that he struggled with all of that stuff. He, he recognized that his heart was crooked. He recognized that his motives were wrong. He, he recognized all of that. But he was trying to fix himself by behavior modification, by trying to do things that, that would actually correct his heart. So he did three things. Number one, he became a monk. Number two, he practiced um, conf confession regularly. Uh, and number three, um, he started to do good things. These are the three things that he did. Became a monk, started to do good things, and then practiced confession all the time. This guy wanted his life to be so and so pure that he would spend six hours a day confessing his sin. This is how much he understood that he was a sinful person. Six hours a day confessing his sin. Now, the, the priest that was uh, taking his confession at one point said this to him, and I quote, Martin, it is as if you call every fart a sin. This is the obsession of this guy. But look at his answer. Father, the big problem of the human race is self-centeredness. We are curved in in ourselves. Where do you think these words come from? Nationalism, racism, oppression, and violence. Where do you think all this misery of this world comes from? It is from my own self-centeredness, my heart. And the priest responds and says, okay, I understand that. But don't worry, you are doing good things. You are confessing your sins. You are doing the stuff that you're supposed to do. And then Martin responds again. Listen, I care for the poor. I help the poor. But I come to realize that I don't help the poor for the sake of the poor. I do it so I can feel noble. I do it so God will bless me. I am doing it not because of the poor, not for God, but I'm doing it for myself. When I come to repent to you, he says, when I come to confess my sins to you, I realize I'm not doing it for the sake of humility. I like to be humble. I like to think of myself as a humble person. I am humble. I am noble. I'm being humble not for God's sake, not for my, but for my sake. I'm caring for the poor, not for the poor's sake, but for my sake. I had left being lusty, and now I am chaste and religious, and I'm just as curved in, uh, in myself. I'm still curved in. I am just as addicted. I cannot change my heart. So this is why behavior modification doesn't work. Because even though you do the right thing, your heart has not changed. That's what Martin Luther learned. Now, let me ask the question. Why is it that Jesus said what he said in Matthew chapter 12? Why is it that Jesus talks about judgment? And that he says that everything that comes out of our heart will actually be taken into consideration on judgment day. So we understand the same thing that Martin Luther understood. That the only way for our life to change and our heart to be modified and our motives to change is when we actually have the word made flesh, Jesus Christ within our hearts. It is only when Jesus is beautiful to us. It is only when we understand that he took the judgment that we deserve. It is only when we look at Jesus taking the consequence of every word I have said, of everything that I've done, of everything that I've seen, only when I see Jesus nailed to the cross, taking upon himself the consequences of my sin. It is only then, that right there and then, that my heart starts to change. And the more I treasure that word, 
the word made flesh. The more I have the word made flesh within my heart, the more my motives start to change, the more my life is transformed, the more I learn what it, mean, what it means to live a life that is pleasing to him. Guard your heart because Jesus is worth it. Guard your heart as, a, as, a, as an expression of adoration for what he did for you. Guard your heart because he's beautiful and amazing and powerful and he loves you more than anyone else. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you because you're not just calling us to modify our behavior. You know that we cannot do that by ourselves. We thank you, Lord, because not only you tell us that we cannot change ourselves, but you provided the way so we can change. And it's when we treasure you above everyone else and above everything else. And when Jesus becomes the word that lives within our hearts. Please make it happen. Please allow us to believe and repent and practice what we're supposed to. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die. Raise your head, for love is passing by. Come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus and live. Now your burdens lifted and carried far away, and precious blood has washed away the stain. So sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, and live. Newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl. Remember when you walk, sometimes you fall. So fall. And steep and filled with pain. So if your sky is dark and pours the rain, then cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, and Yeah.
It's only when we fly to Jesus that our life is transformed. I want to thank you for being here with us. Before we finish our service, I want to pray over you the blessing that we find in Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. And we all say, Amen. Witten Bible Church, you are sent. We love you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. I'm Michael and I serve with our creative team. Since the pandemic started, food pantries in our area have been serving more people than normal. And to meet the demand, they're asking for more donations. A few weeks ago, we hosted a food drive at our North Avenue campus and you showed up in a big way. In just a few hours, you brought thousands of pounds of food and supplies to support four area pantries. Since then, food has been distributed and we've been asked to help our community again. This Saturday, we're hosting a second food drive at both our North Avenue and Streamwood campuses. You can find the list for most needed supplies at wheatonbible.org volunteer. 
pick a pantry to support, and drop off those items on Saturday between 11 and 3. Thank you for continuing to serve our community through this pandemic. If you're wanting to stay in the know on future volunteer opportunities, prayer nights, daily devotionals, or global missions reports beyond what we can share in service, you can sign up for a list that's right for you at wheatonbible.org newsletter. You'll get regular updates to help you stay connected and in the know. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week.